So I, I, I think you might remember that uh, in the first message of the series, This Is Us, the only you God can change is the real you. Tim talked about living with disappointment. He used the life of Joseph to illustrate how to deal with the inevitable disappointments that we face. Well, today, as we begin a new year, I'd like to dig a little deeper into the life of Joseph because he truly was one of the greatest men of faith in the entire Old Testament. And his life was one of the most remarkable riches to rags to riches story ever told. Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons of the patriarch Jacob. And he was clearly Jacob's favorite, as witnessed by that multicolored long sleeve coat that Jacob gave him. But Jacob also realized that Joseph was a very capable young man. At the age of 17, Jacob put Joseph in charge of the family business and gave him authority over his older brothers. So we're going to pick up the story here in Genesis chapter 37. So if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, the verses will also be up on the screen. I'm going to read the first four verses. This is what Moses says, that Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, who is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. This was truly one of the early and original dysfunctional families. Jacob had four wives. And you have probably heard the saying, when mama's not happy, no one's happy. Well, imagine when you have four mamas and none of them are happy. You also have, you have competition, you have jealousy, you have favoritism. In the midst of all that dysfunction, God gives Jake, Joseph two surprising dreams that seem to indicate that his entire family, his parents and his older brothers, were all eventually going to bow down to him. Now, unfortunately, in Joseph's youthful pride, he eagerly shares that dream with his brothers that, of course, only adds to the tension. As far as Joseph was concerned, though, things are going pretty well for him. But, as you probably know, his brothers got fed up with him, decided to kill him, uh, eventually relented, and instead sold him to Ishmaelite slave traders who took him in chains down to Egypt. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39 of what's happening with Joseph. I'm going to read the first four verses and then verse 23. But before I do, I'd like to pray. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity that we have to start a new year together as your family with our brothers and sisters to sing and to worship and to honor you and glorify your name. Lord, I pray this morning as we study your word that you would reveal new and wonderful things about yourself, about your love, about your goodness, and help us to desire to honor and serve you more. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are five important principles that I want to share with you today as we begin the new year. 
Uh, and they're from this true story of Joseph's life. So beginning in chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And then jumping down to verse 23, it says, The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This says Joseph was a successful man. Both in his master's house as a slave and then as a prisoner in the dungeon, God calls Joseph successful. That means that God's definition of success must be different from the world's. Obviously, Joseph's success had nothing to do with material or financial well-being. He had nothing. He had no power. He had no position. He was a slave and a prisoner. But here's why God called him a success. Because despite his situation, he continued to fulfill his responsibilities and do his work with excellence. Here we find God's definition of success. And truly, it's the only one by which we should measure ourselves. And it's the very first principle I want us to see today. And that is that God measures success not by our material wealth, position, or power, but by how faithful and diligent we are, no matter what our circumstances. God considered Joseph a success because instead of complaining about the terrible things that happened to him that were way out of proportion to anything that he had done, he put his whole effort into the work that he was given to do, both as a slave in Potiphar's house and as the warden's helper. Joseph did his work with faithfulness and excellence under extremely difficult circumstances, and that's why God called him a success. We need to ask ourselves, do we give our best even in less than ideal circumstances? Have we ever been tempted to say, they're not paying me enough to do that? Or, or maybe, why should I work that hard when the guy over there is just sitting playing video games? We need to remind ourselves of God's definition of success because we are successful in God's eyes, not because we have lots of money or a powerful position, but by how faithfully and diligently we respond no matter where we are or how we're being treated. I doubt if the Apostle Paul expected to spend his last days in prison, poured out like a drink offering, yet he continued to faithfully trust God and serve him by witnessing to the prisoners, to the prison guards, and by writing letters to the churches. See, Paul was incredibly successful, even though he was in prison. Maybe today you're not where you thought you would be in your life. 
Are you thinking, I never thought this could happen to me? Is your situation making you wonder if you could ever be successful? Then I would encourage you to look at Joseph's life and see that we can be successful in God's eyes. And it starts by being faithful to God and diligent in the work that we're given to do, no matter what our circumstances. Are you in a dead-end job? Do you work the best of your ability anyway? Maybe, maybe you didn't get into the university that you were hoping to, and you're at community college and disappointed by that. Get the best grades that you can, make the most of your college experience, and you'll be a success in God's eyes. Isn't that what matters anyway? The world will drop us like a hot potato as soon as our net worth falls below a certain number. So why not be successful in God's eyes instead? We will be incredibly successful in his eyes when we start by being faithful and diligent in a difficult situation because as far as God is concerned, our success has nothing to do with the size of our bank account, our retirement portfolio, or our house. Now, I want you to know that this principle also applies to our service in the church. It seems that Joseph had the gift of leadership. Everywhere he was, people put him in charge. At 17, his dad put him in charge of his entire family business and gave him authority over his brothers. Potiphar, the captain of the guard, put him in charge of his entire household. The warden of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. He used that gift wherever he was, even in those unpleasant circumstances. Did you know that each one of us, saved by grace through faith, have been given a spiritual gift by God to be used for the benefit of the church? Here's what Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. So the question is, are, are you still on the sidelines? Are you still waiting to serve? Waiting maybe for that perfect opportunity? Maybe thinking uh, the time's just not right or, or where we need help is not exactly a great fit for me. But like Joseph, we can be a success in God's eyes when we use our gift wherever he has us. So jump in. Start serving. We need you. We need your unique gift and ability to make this church all that God desires it to be. Spiritual gifts are not uh, like a trophy that we kind of stick up on a mantle place and say, oh, hey, look at that. No, it is to be used. It is to be used to build up the church and to bring glory to God. And we can do it right now, right where we are. That brings me to the second principle. When we're a success in God's eyes, the world notices that God is with us. Joseph's faithfulness and diligence was an amazing testimony to his pagan bosses, the captain of the guard and the keeper of the prison. And here's the thing. They didn't just say, oh, wow, man, he's, he's good. Must have gone to ASU. Um, <laughs> no, they recognized that, that God was with him. Go back to chapter 39 and, and look at verse 3. 
his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And then down to 23 again, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Joseph was a a beautiful picture of what it looks like to have a relationship with God in, in a secular environment before unbelieving co-workers and bosses. So many of you today are working in difficult secular situations, sometimes even, even hostile ones. But even in those places, you can make quite an impression when your co-workers or bosses who know that you're a church person sees your integrity and your hard work and your diligence. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. However, even when we're the hardest workers, a grumpy Christian isn't going to attract others to want to follow our Savior. I uh, recently have been reading this book um, called Soul Survivor by Philip Yancey, and I came across this sentence that was quite intriguing to me. Um, here's what Yancey says. Uh, Evangelicals are responsible citizens who most people appreciate as neighbors but don't want to spend much time with. <laughs> it's kind of true sometimes. So... There's really one more step in being successful in God's eyes. It is by shining God's light in this dark world as we work diligently, but we do it with joy. That we're winsome people, even in the least ideal circumstances. Stars shine the brightest when the night is the darkest. So in order to be the kind of person that shines that light in the darkness beyond being faithful and diligent, we need to do it with joy. Now, I know what you're thinking. Right, Neil? You use Joseph as an example. You already said he was one of the most faithful and great men in the entire Old Testament. That's one example. Then you use Paul, the greatest man in the New Testament. How do you expect us to do that? Well, I I want you to know um, that uh, my entire adult life, I have seen the example of this um, in my wife. She just retired after 41 years of nursing, um, 17 of those in a local hospital cardiac cath lab. She worked 12-hour shifts, a couple of shifts a week, started at 6 a.m. and sometimes not finished till 10 o'clock at night, whenever it took. And whether you were her first case of the day at 6 o'clock in the morning or you were the last case of the day at 10 o'clock at night, she cared for you with excellence and diligence. If you were having, as she would say, a heart attack, (laughs) you, you wanted Kate Pitchell there. But she always did it with joy. She always had the most positive attitude So I know she's going to be mad at me when she comes next hour. I I didn't get permission to to talk about her. I figured I'd go for forgiveness. Uh, I I stole a 
a note that she received from one of her doctors. He happened to be Chinese. And this is what he wrote to her. I really enjoyed working with you. Your positive attitude and the true caring you have for all your patients really shows every day. There are so many people in our field that are so jaded, so I appreciated every chance we got to work together. We can do this. We can be successful in God's eyes by working faithfully and diligently. And we can be a light in the darkness when we do it with joy. It's a great privilege and a great opportunity. Joseph, okay, he was alone in a foreign land. He was away from his family. He was wrongly imprisoned. But he was such a compelling person that while he was in jail, his fellow prisoners, Egyptians, who would normally look down on foreigners, especially Hebrews, unburdened themselves to him. In fact, the two most influential prisoners, both key leaders in Pharaoh's service, shared their troubling dreams with Joseph because he was so approachable and compelling and caring of a person. We can do it. That brings me to the third principle, and that is that when we're a success in God's eyes, temptation will inevitably follow. Joseph's hard work and success brought him to a place where he was to be noticed, and that caused temptation. It's a fact of life that the more success we have, especially in the world's eyes, the more temptation we face. And that's what happened to Joseph. Others saw that God was with him. Others saw that everything that he did succeeded. Everyone could see that there was something special about Joseph. And interestingly, the Bible also says that, that he was a stud. Look at um, chapter 39, uh, second half of verse 6. It says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It, it, interestingly, that uh, description of Joseph is only used uh, for three other men in the Old Testament. Uh, after Joseph, it was King Saul. Uh, then it was King David. Uh, then it was Absalom, David's son. All Jewish men. Joseph is a hardworking, joyful, and, and, and good-looking young man who was given access to everything of his masters except for one thing, Potiphar's wife. But Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph because he was successful. I, I believe that he, if he was just a, another slave in the field, she wouldn't have been nearly as interested in him. You know, there's, there's a surprising parallel here, I believe, between Joseph's situation and Adam and Eve's. Adam and Eve were also given access to everything their master owned except for one thing, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It, it, it was just hanging there. 
And that's the way temptation is sometimes. It's just out there for us to take a look at. Maybe like a, a bigger house that we can't really afford, but maybe having that house will make us feel more successful. Or, or a, a cooler car kind of drives by, and we go, oh man, it's newer, it'd be nicer, I, people would notice me maybe if I had that car. Or, or maybe it's, it's, it's cooler clothes, which is obviously not one of my temptations. Um, you know, sometimes that temptation is just kind of hanging there, and then we go running after it. But sometimes temptation comes running after us. Chapter 39, verse 10 says that day after day after day after day, Potiphar's wife spoke to Joseph with innuendo and ideas of come and be with me. And Joseph resisted and he resisted and he resisted so that when the major temptation came, when she got him alone, she tried to drag him into her bed. He was able to get away and resist that temptation. And, and that's a principle that's true for all of us. When we can resist the temptations that are just hanging there in the mundane areas of life, we will be able to resist the temptations, the big ones that come that are such great challenges. If the cashier gives you a little bit too much change, give it back to them because that'll help prepare us in case something big comes along. If, if, there's a, if it's easier to, to, to just tell a little white lie in a particular situation, if, if, we'll just, if we'll just tell the truth at that point, it'll be a lot easier when the temptation to tell a really big whopper comes along. Resisting temptation in the small things helps us to stand apart, of sins, apart from sin when the major temptations come. The Bible gives us a, another vehicle for resisting temptation, um, and that is prayer. It's interesting to me that when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he didn't tell them to pray, get me out of this sin. No, he told them, pray, don't lead me into temptation. See, we, we have an answer when we stumble into sin, and that is 1 John 1, 9. The Bible tells us that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Grace Awakening, calls that the hospital verse. He says that's, that's what we need when we go falling off the cliff. But if we'll pray, God, don't let us into temptation, we can stop before we get to that cliff. We need to pray daily that God will help us resist those situations. We need to pray regularly before we get into things that we knowingly or unknowingly will cause us to fall into temptation. We need to say no to the little temptations consistently and regularly so that when the big temptations come, we can stand firm. I wonder, was Joseph's entry into prison an answer to prayer? Can you imagine him praying, God, keep that woman away from me. Keep that woman away from me. Okay, Joe, we'll put you in prison. She's not going to bother you there. God's ways are different than our ways. That brings me to principle number four. When we are a success in God's eyes, it doesn't mean we won't suffer because suffering is a part of God's gracious dealings with us. 
Joseph approached his temptation with absolute integrity. First, he tried to reason with her. How could I take advantage of my master's trust in me? Then, like David, he said, how could I sin against God? Sometimes the only safe approach is to just run. Uh, Paul says in, in two different places, in 2 Timothy 2 and in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, flee, get away. But for Joseph, even running wasn't enough. He did everything right. But because she was able to grab a hold of his cloak when she tried to get him into her bed, she was able to accuse Joseph of trying to rape her. Joseph could not have responded with more integrity. And through no fault of his own, he went once again from the penthouse back to the prison. Joseph's obedience and integrity brought him even more trials. And through these trials, though, as we look back and look at it now, we can see that God was preparing him to be the man who could provide a plan that would take care of, of, of a, the entire world that was about to experience a seven-year famine. God was preparing Joseph. Here was a, here was a young man who, who couldn't even handle the good news of being, uh, of what's going to happen in those dreams that he, he boasted before his brothers and his family. God needed to build endurance into Joseph. God needed to build obedience into his life by graciously allowing these trials. And God will do the same thing for us. Suffering, difficulty, and persecution are simply a normal part of the Christian life. Here's what Paul says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's two very important words in this, and that is, the first one is all. Not some of us, all of us who desire to live a godly life will, not maybe, will be persecuted. Why? Because God is going to use that in our lives. And there are times when we will suffer according to God's will for our life. Peter said it this way in, in 1 Peter 4.19. He said, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator doing what is good. God is using these times that we suffer according to his will, whether it's a result of our own sin or no fault of our own, to build steadfastness, to build character, and to build patience. The Greek word for patience in the New Testament is long-suffering. God will use trials and sufferings to help us be the men and women that he wants us to be. He will use them to make us stronger. He'll use them to make us wiser. He may even use them so that we can be a comfort to those who suffer similar things in the future. We need to remember that when we suffer trials, face difficulties of various kinds, it is part of God's gracious dealings in our lives. And even when we do everything right, we still might suffer so God can mold us into the image of his son. And finally, um, the fifth principle is even when we feel like a failure, God is with us. Jesus came into this world as Emmanuel, God with us. 
And he left this world telling his disciples that he would be with them always. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's presence with his people is not dependent upon our circumstances, nor how we respond to those circumstances. Joseph must have felt like God was right there with him when he was in that position of authority over his brothers. He must have felt God's presence when he was in charge of those brothers and bringing a bad report to his father about them and wearing that beautiful coat. But, but look again at, at the way chapter 39 starts and the way it ends. In chapter 39, verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And then verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the keeper of the prison. God was with Joseph every bit as much as a slave and even as a slave in prison as he was as the favored son of the wealthy landowner Jacob. What we see from this is that God is with us every bit as much in the prison as he is in the penthouse. He is with us every bit as much when we're in a five-star hotel as when we're in the hospital. He's there when we feel abandoned. He's there when we feel utterly alone. Joseph's brothers totally abandoned him. They sent him on a journey of hundreds of miles from Dothan to Egypt, in chains, on the way to slavery. Yet God was with him every step of the way. Physically speaking, Joseph had no one. Separated from his family, a different culture, an unknown language, and a slave. But he was not alone. And neither are you. There are some here today, maybe, whose spouse has abandoned them. The person that you thought would never leave has left you alone. But you're not. You're not alone. God is with you. There are some who have worked for years and years, hard, done their jobs for their boss, but they've just been told that the layoffs have been extended and they've left you without a job. But you're not alone. God is with you. You might be feeling frightened and alone, and, and that's perfectly natural. But in the midst of our difficulties, God is with his people. Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. No matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, he will not abandon us. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 13 was quoting God's words to, Jake, uh, to Joshua. He said in, first in chapter 13, verse 5, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. You know, even when the problems are self-imposed, God is there. Jacob is a, is a great example of that. Uh, as a younger man, he deceived his brother Esau and his father Isaac in order to get the blessing that was going to be his anyway. When Esau realized what happened, he was so angry he wanted to kill Jacob. Jacob had to run for his life. He left without even taking a bag of clothes with him. 
The Bible says that he ran for about 20 miles before he was exhausted and he went to lay down in the desert and all he had was a rock for a pillow. Nothing. And in, in that evening, while he slept, God came to him in a dream. He was there because of his own sin, his own deceit, and God came to him in that dream and revealed his presence with him and said that he would not leave him and he would not forsake him. No matter what you're feeling, what you've done, or what someone has done to you, if you are truly a child of God, he is there and he is with you. Through it all, good times, bad times, success, failure, he's with us. The psalmist says that God is like an eagle hovering over her young, protecting them, providing for them, preparing them for life. Maybe today you're, you're facing a, a difficult and, and painful situation and you feel abandoned. You're not. You're not alone. God is omnipresent, meaning he is present everywhere all of the time. And his omnipresence assures us that no matter what God calls us to do or what he allows to happen in our lives, he is there with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Joseph was not alone in prison and in Egypt. Paul was not alone in prison in Rome. And we are not alone today. He's there. He's with us. His love is unchangeable, unshakable. Trust him. And because he is using these trials to mold us into the image of his son, and because he is always with us, we really can demonstrate to the world what real success looks like, no matter what our circumstances. We can be the hardest workers. We can be diligent in difficult situations, and we can do it joyfully. And when we do, we will shine light in a dark world and we will bring water, refreshing water to a thirsty, thirsty world. I know we can do it. I watched it in my wife and I know as we go forward in this year, um, if we desire to be successful before God, he will honor that prayer. So let's pray together now. Father, we do desire to be successful in your eyes. We do desire to be people who are faithful and diligent regardless of our circumstances and to be able to do it with joy, to be winsome, to be compelling people so that we can shine your light in a dark world and those that don't know you would see you in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.